This is a Reconstructionist Radio production. Please visit calcedon.edu. That's C-H-A-L-C-E-D-O-N dot E-D-U to download this book in PDF format or to purchase this book. The Cure of Souls, Recovering the Biblical Doctrine of Confession by Rusus John Rushduni. Copyright 2007, Mark R. Rushduni. Published by Calcedon Ross House Books. P.O. Box 158, Vallecito, California, 95251. All rights reserved. The Cure of Souls, Recovering the Biblical Doctrine of Confession by R.J. Rushduni. Chapter 22, Counseling and Reconciliation. Peace, harmony and humanistic goodwill are the goals of humanistic counselling, whether in the church or outside of it. At its best, such counselling produces conformity, not change. In instances where married couples have sought such counselling, the best results have been an outward compliance, not an inner change, regeneration. The husband or the wife works to create an impression of a changed behaviour for public relations purposes. The marriage improves marginally, but the troubles of the innocent spouse only increase. People are governed up to a point by the requirements of other persons, but such a government does not affect the essential nature and conduct of a man. Over the generations, many an evil politician has begun as a reformer, as witness Abe Roof of San Francisco, California. Consider also Elmer McCollum, who in the first quarter of the 20th century did some excellent work in nutrition. Among other things, he called attention to the major loss of the original nutrients in the processes which led to white flour and bread and to sugar. Skillful advertising, he said, had led Americans to like white bread. Soon after writing against white bread, McCollum was given a position as nutrition consultant to General Mills. He then became vocal on the virtues of white flour. He also appeared before a congressional committee to condemn, quote, the pernicious teachings of food faddists who have sought to make people afraid of white flour bread, end quote. Without regeneration and a governing faith, men will readily sacrifice even their own convictions to expediency and ostensible self-aggrandizement. For this reason, confession of sin and sins is a prerequisite to truly Christian counselling. The confession should be voluntary and it should manifest contrition and repentance. Paul wrote to the Corinthians, Now I rejoice, not that you were made sorry, but that you sorrowed to repentance. For you were made sorry after a godly manner, that you might receive damage by us in nothing. For godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation, not to be repented of, but the sorrow of the world worketh death. End quote. From 2 Corinthians 7, 9-10. Paul distinguishes between a godly sorrow for sin as against ungodly sorrow, the sorrow of the world, which leads to death. In the face of exposed sin, people are usually sorry, but too often their sorrow is over being caught or exposed. 
it is at this point that the weakness of compulsory confession becomes evident. It is, then, a required confession rather than a repented one. As a university student, I was regularly distressed by the casualness of some Catholics with regard to confession. It was a right necessary to good standing with the Church rather than a clear conscience before God. I felt that it kept the hypocrites in the Church to destroy it. Persons who could joke about their confession had no right nor moral reason to confess. Too often the counselling session, if it at all requires confession, leads to hypocrisy. The weakness, too, of the counselling session is the limited and humanistic goal. Thus, a counsellor will tell a couple, in so many words, we will try together to save this marriage. By giving priority to such a concern, the standing before God of the husband and the wife takes a secondary place. The purpose of any induced confession is, then, pragmatic more than theological. That the results can sometimes be good does not alter the fact that the counselling orientation is false. God can and does work through every situation so that godly restoration is possible in unlikely ways. Then too, as the old proverb has it, even a blind pig gets an acorn now and then. Ungodly counselling is now widely advocated even within the churches. On Saturday, March the 9th, 1991, a church conference was held in Stockton, California on Addiction, What Can the Churches Do? The conference was sponsored by the Stockton Metro Ministry. Quote, the Reverend Bernie Flynn recalled seeing the alcoholics gathered outside St. Mary's Church on Washington Street, where he spoke Saturday at a conference on addiction. I wanted to hug them and tell them they were sick, said Flynn, an Episcopal priest from Fresno. Flynn might lead a congregation, pay taxes and live in a comfortable home, but he shares a deadly disease with the men and women slowly killing themselves on Washington Street, the disease of alcoholism. End quote. Most of the conference speakers were recovering addicts. Their addictions were various, alcohol, pornography, gambling, and that new disease, codependency. Quote, I am so precious to my creator that no matter what I am doing or not doing, I am worthy of God's love, says Presbyterian Minister Steve Carter. The most important message that the church can tell anyone is the one who made us still loves us. Flynn learned that message during his own recovery from alcoholism. His view of alcoholism changed dramatically when he learned that alcoholism is a disease, a chronic, progressive and terminal disease, and not the symptom of spiritual weakness. End quote. It's not a moral issue. Sorry, quote. It's not a moral issue, the priest said. We're dealing with a disease. Now, there are some nincompoops in Southern California who are writing articles telling you this isn't a disease. End quote. Sigmund Freud held that the successful abolition of religion would come about only when the problem of guilt was converted from a religious question to a scientific one. Turning addiction into a disease rather than a sin is a major step towards Freud's abolition of religion. Flynn's approach places him in another camp than historic Orthodox Christianity. His reference to some nincompoops in Southern California 
who believe that alcoholism is a sin, is an indictment of the Bible and 20 centuries of Christianity. Drunkenness is repeatedly cited in Scripture as a sin. Isaiah 5.11, 28.1, Joel 1.5, Luke 21.34, Romans 13.13, 1 Corinthians 5.11, Galatians 5.19-21, Ephesians 5.18, 1 Thessalonians 5.7 and 1 Peter 4.3. Paul, in 1 Corinthians 5.11, orders a separation from church members who are drunkards and he places them together with fornicators, the covetous, idolaters, railers and extortioners. There can be no mistaking the fact that the Bible classifies drunkenness as a sin, not a disease. There is very great appeal for the argument that alcoholism is a disease rather than a sin. It removes responsibility for one's condition from ourselves and holds that our addiction is simply an accident, not a moral failure. Some alcoholics are now vocal in their insistence that their condition is a disease rather than a sin. It means that they are victims, not moral failures. The result is a new Phariseeism. Presbyterian minister Steve Carter exemplifies this with his belief that he is so precious to God that no matter what I am doing or not doing, I am worthy of God's love. Worthy of God's love? Whatever happened to grace? The stress of scripture is from beginning to end on the grace of God and his mercy to us. What we receive is unmerited favour. God, through Amos, told Israel that they were no different in his sight from the Ethiopians or anyone else, from Amos 9.7. Only his grace led to Israel being his chosen people. Paul is emphatic that we all were like dead men before God redeemed... We were all like dead men before God redeemed us in Christ. We have no more merit than decaying corpse. Quote, And you he hath he quickened, who were dead in trespasses and sins. But God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace ye are saved. For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves it is the gift of God not of works, lest any man should boast. End quote. From Ephesians 2, 1, 4-5, 8-9. But Carter and Flynn are boasters. They are Pharisees, not men who talk, rather, of God's grace. They can speak of being worthy of God's love. Too often, counselling furthers this Phariseeism. Some ministers in counselling married couples assure the couple at the outset, this marriage is worth saving, and they then proceed on that basis, which is merit, not grace. But some of these couples, to my knowledge, have engaged in the following offences, drunkenness, adultery, incest, wife or husband beating, and so on and on. Worth saving? Why? Grace is possible to the chief of sinners, but grace and worth are two different things. Humanistic counselling stresses the worth of a marriage, a man or a woman. It begins by assuring one and all of their own worth. It confirms them in their Phariseeism. It cannot be called Christian in any sense. The confessional, whatever its faults, and they are real, 
stressed and stresses where godly, reconciliation to God. Out of this will flow reconciliation to man. Humanistic counselling seeks reconciliation to man as its primary goal. As such, it alienates one and all from God. This is the end of chapter 22. The Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network brings to you a complete lineup of podcasts where you will hear practical and tactical theology. Our desire is not simply that you consume our shows, but that you also live out your faith in every area of life. We can talk all day long about these things, but if we fail to put them into practice, then we fail as ambassadors of Jesus Christ, our King. Subscribe now to your favorite Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network shows. Or you can subscribe to the Reconstructionist Radio Master Feed, where all of the content we produce, including the audiobooks and audio articles, will pop up as soon as they are available. And don't forget to visit ReconstructionistRadio.com to volunteer as a narrator or to partner with this ministry financially. May the Holy Spirit stir you into action for Christ and His kingdom.